The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. The, the scripture for this morning is found in, pas- in passage Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. It's page 634, if you have one of the Bibles under your chairs. You can also follow along on the screen. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood. Sorry. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That is God's word. Amen. Be seated. Good morning, guys. Every Sunday, um, overwhelmed with uh, gratitude for the team that I get to serve with here at Doxa. I think, especially cold, rainy mornings, really appreciate them and love them. I love all you guys for showing up this morning. Um, before we proceed, I just want to recognize that. Uh, my, uh, the director of church planning for the Southeast, uh, which I know Dale already mentioned, uh, Bruce Redman, he was also my, or is my church planning coach, and his wife Jackie are here, back, sitting in the back with my lovely wife, Megan. We're glad to have them in town. Um, unfortunately, we uh, timed bringing them in on this weekend to Myrtle Beach, so they have a uh, nice condo, oceanfront, and can see nothing but the, the rain falling, but... Uh, you know, I told him, I said, you know, I promise you a few days earlier, it was really nice. It was like we were wearing shorts and short sleeves, and it's a different story now. But Bruce could tell you, 
that uh, before you plant, you have a dream of what you want your church to look like. And there's certain things that you picture. And there's, this morning we're going to be talking about something that is uh, a very important theme in Scripture. And it's something that's very near and dear to my heart, to the heart of the rest of the people who were part of the core team whenever we launched. Uh, but uh, it's an interesting topic to be covering this morning. Uh, and that is that we want to be a church that is multicultural and multi-generational and uh, multi-ethnic and multi-all across the board. And uh, I'm very conscious that I'm a white, southern, 30-something-year-old dude talking to a bunch of white people generally with a, you know, so let's just own that elephant in the room before we proceed any further and let's hope that God speaks to us out of the scripture this morning. Let's pray and we'll get rolling. Father, I'd... uh, Lift up this morning to you, and I pray that you would meet with us. I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your presence and how you have already are here with us. And Father, I pray that as I speak, that uh, you would speak, that you would open up uh, not only the scriptures to us, but that you would absolutely do that. I pray that you would then use that to open up our hearts to us, that we would see uh, areas of our hearts uh, that are not in line with your heart, and that we would... Uh, be able to exchange that heart of stone for a heart of flesh. Father, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will will be done, uh, not only in this room and in Doxa, but in churches all across the Grand Strand and beyond. I pray that what we talk about this morning would be the beginning of a new era at our young little baby church, and that you would be glorified. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. There are a, are a lot of others in America, and I use the air quotes on purpose. There are a lot of others in America, and an, an other is someone who thinks and acts different than you do. They, their, their way of thinking, their way of living is foreign or is strange to you. Uh, I, I grew up about maybe 30 minutes from here in the country, uh, so as a southern white boy, grew up in the country, and uh, so there's a, a particular kind of feel. I was, grew up somewhere between, uh, you know, I, I don't know what we were uh, looking back. We were somewhere between uh, lower middle class and upper lower class uh, in the in the middle of the like we're, we grew up like with fields all around us. There were the, the the farmers that lived on our road would like bring the cattle, the, the cows from one field to another field and that you would, it would be no big deal to look out your window and see the cows like running th- like through our actual yard. There were chickens around. So I'm just trying to paint a picture for you. What, well, you know, we looked at our back door and we would see like uh, either a soybean field or a corn field, depending on what they planted that year. So this is the, this is the world that I grew up in. And so it's a very kind of insulated, kind of localized world. And, and I remember when uh, our cousins came from, would come from Florida to visit. Now they were, you know, to us, they were uptown, like, because you know, they grew up like in a, in a city and they lived in Florida. And so like the, the clothes that they wore and the things that they said and the way they acted and the things that they were into were totally foreign to us. I thought they were weird and I thought they were strange. But as I look back, I think they probably thought the same thing. I know they thought the same thing about us when they came and hang out with us. We discover pretty early who our people are. And we all know who we're talking about when we say our people. 
all of us in this room, by nature and by upbringing, by background, we fit into a certain kind of group of people. We know them. It's the people that we understand. They're, the way that they think and the way that they live makes sense to us. And the people who are outside of that are strange. They're different. We discover pretty early what tribe we belong to, and we discover why. So then we're, when we meet up with other people who are different than that, that's a, they're a stranger. That's a strangeness that's between us. And that puts up a barrier between us and them at best. At best, a barrier. Because you don't really understand how they think and what they, what they do, how they, how they live their life. But then that lack of, that, that, that barrier that's sort of between us, and we don't understand their way of thinking and the way of living, that usually builds into a lack of trust. And that lack of trust oftentimes turns into some sort of, well, indifference at best or hostility to some level at worst. Just look at our current political climate. We look out across America today and they say that our politics are far more fractured than they ever have been before. You can see it really clearly. There's a far left, there's a far right, and even inside the far left and far right, there are pockets of, of, of people who are, they understand their tribe and they don't ever mix together. You might think, because we're more connected now than we ever have been in the past, right? I mean, to the internet, social media, like we're far more connected than we ever have been before. You might think that would breed sort of a, a, a more, being more connected to people at large. But I think what it has served to do is help us more clearly connect with people who are just like us. Because if you think about it, in the, whatever town or area or neighborhood you grew up before, uh, you might have been the only one who had a certain kind of thinking and you were forced to be around other people who thought differently. But now through the power of the internet, you can connect with people who think the same way that you do, just like you do, and you can build your own little community there of people who are like you, not other than you. And I think it has caused us to kind of congeal more into hardened factions it can seem oftentimes hopeless. We're fractured as a society and as a people, and how do you, can you ever picture us coming together? In America, we seek to rule out encounters with the stranger. Our neighborhoods, our shopping, our transportation are all designed so that we will constantly be surrounded by people who are like us and we won't have to encounter people who are not the stranger because that makes us uncomfortable. But we're more homogenized, no strangers allowed, but that's no longer controlled by the, like, the signs of a separate water fountain or a separate place for somebody to sit on a bus. Now it's controlled by the market because certain people can't afford to live certain places or so controlled by zoning. We keep certain types of businesses and certain types of homes here and certain types of businesses and certain types of homes here. So I can run around in my circle back and forth and very rarely come into contact, any real meaningful contact with people who aren't like me. Yeah, there's really no way for us to truly get around it or get over it as a society. In 1960, 
85% of America was white. Think about that. In 1960, it's not very long ago, it's before my time, but there's a couple of us in this room that can remember that. In 1960, 85% of America was white. In 2060, that number will be 43%. It's not very far away. Minorities now make up nearly a third of the population that will pass 50% by the year 2042. By as early or before 2023, minorities will comprise more than half of all the children in the United States of America. I read a stat, I don't know if this is corroborated, but I read a stat that either this year or last year, they think that it might be the first year that in schools in America, there are at least 50% minorities in American schools. Now, our area is not as diverse as many, but yet uh, Horry County is about 80% white, 15% black, and around 2.5% Hispanic and Latino. Yet the number of Latinos and Asians particularly are growing. Here's an interesting number that should, as I'm throwing out these stats, I'm sure you guys love a bunch of numbers this morning. Only 13.7% of the churches in the United States are multi-ethnic. Now, the, um, the people who get into church metrics and numbers, uh, they have determined they, that uh, a multi-ethnic church is a church where uh, one particular people group don't make up more than 80% of the people that are in the church. So that's a pretty loose you know, yardstick if we're measuring what a multi-ethnic church is. But only 13.7 churches in the U.S., are multi-ethnic. The church is, and listen to this, the church is 10 times more segregated than the neighborhoods that we meet in. The church is 20 times more segregated than the nearby schools. The school that we're standing in now is very likely that our church is 20 times more segregated than the very church, the school that we're meeting in this morning. But the barriers to strangers, people who don't think or act or look like us, aren't just around ethnicity, though that's huge, particularly in the South. But it's not just around ethnicity. Though that is the, in my opinion, that's the great stone around the American church's neck. Is our uh, ethnic present and past. But in many ways, the barriers to strangers also revolve around economics, Politics, background, and even age. Now, I've mentioned this before. This may come as a shock to many people, but God is not a middle-class, southern, white Republican. He is none of those things. Just store that for yourself today. In our passage today, in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, there's so much going on, but Paul describes God's answer to a fractured humanity. You know what his answer is? How is he gonna bring us together? You know what his answer is? He's gonna create a new one. And he is and has created a new humanity. This passage is packed with a lot of stuff. I would, we could take weeks and weeks on it. We're not, we're just gonna focus on three things that we're gonna see in the passage today. Well, actually, two things, and then one is a, an implication of that. Number one, how Jesus is creating a new humanity. Number two, why Jesus is creating a new hum- humanity. And then, what does that mean for us? 
how Jesus is creating a new humanity, why is he creating a new humanity, and then third, what does that mean for us? First, how Jesus is creating a new humanity. The common thought, so we as Americans, we, we look out and we see, all right, there's a problem in America. We have the first black president, which I think is awesome. Politics aside, I just think it's really awesome. But at the same time that we have a black president, we also have Ferguson. So how do we make those two meet together? How do we understand the complicated state of race in America? The thought process so far has been, well, if people are better educated, then that will do away with the racial tension in America. Because if we just understand that there's no real difference between people who are black or white or other colors, then that will, that will ease the tension between us because we'll understand better. Or more exposure can bring people together. If I'm more, more often surrounded by people who aren't like me, then I won't, that we won't have those divisions between us anymore. And I think both those things can help, but the thing is that we've discovered those things aren't the answer. The more we're together, the more we uh, try to educate ourselves about, about it, there still seems to be this stone about our neck, this friction, this, faction, this factionization of us together. The problem isn't an understanding problem or a proximity problem. The problem, the horizontal problem between us as people and as people groups isn't about Uh, isn't based in uh, us understanding or being around each other more. The horizontal problem is based upon a vertical problem between us and God. That's what this passage is saying. Look at how Paul describes the state of humanity. In verses 12 and 19, he says that we were once alienated from God. He says we were once strangers from each other, but also strangers to God. The problem with us is that in our very nature that we are broken, we were made, as I mentioned last week, our, we were made for God and our hearts are restless till they find rest in him. And because we were made to find our value and identity in our relationship to God, when that is severed, when that is broken, when that was broken in the garden, what do we see? Like Adam and Eve loved each other. They were awesome. They were two naked, a man and a woman in the garden having fun with each other. He had a, they had a job. Everything was good and kosher with each other. And yet as soon as sin entered, as Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? They started blaming each other. Eve said it was the snake and Adam said it was her and all of a sudden this couple that were made for each other had lived in perfect harmony now were blaming each other and then ended up hiding from God. The broken vertical relationship between us and God creates a broken relationship across uh, horizontal lines between man and man and man and woman and people group and people group because Apart from him, we're searching for identity. So the way that we find identity is to find people who are like us, who can affirm us, who says, yeah, hey, we're cool because we like the same team, or we're cool because we like the same thing, or we're cool because we make the same amount of money, roughly, or we live in the same area, or we're the same. We'll try to find anything that will give us commonality with other people that will tell us, hey, I'm okay, and we can find other people that tell me that I'm okay, too. So it's sort of like mutual admiration society, and that's how we segment into segmented little groups. 
And that's why we can't stand when we run into somebody who's different than us because we don't understand them. My values come, comes from something else other than, than that. And so I have to put them down in order to make me feel better about myself. That's the story of racial tension in American history. To make ourselves feel better by pushing another group down on both sides, on any side. The problem between man, the horizontal problem between man is centered about between a vertical problem between man and God. When that is broken, there is no hope for any lasting reconciliation, any lasting peace between mankind. Ephesians 2.13 in this passage that we just read, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The answer to our, uh, the otherness in our society, the answer to the broken relationships, the answer to the segregation and the prejudice and pride that exists between us is the cross and the blood of Christ. How? Because before Christ or apart from him, we're trying to find some sort of identity, some sort of value in any sort of thing. So you might be naturally religious or you're brought up in a religious household or background. And so your sense of righteousness or right standing before God and before man has to do with your performance of a moral code. And so I act like this, I do like this, I check all the right things off the, the box off the, and, and I can like feel good about myself. If you're, if you didn't grow up in that sort of background, your sense of right standing before man or even before God has to do with, am I generally a good person? Or has to do with, uh, do I find other people that affirm this, uh, this certain things about myself, that I'm good looking, that I'm a cool guy, that I'm smart, that I can get ahead in life. And so I get in a lane, get around a, a particular group of people that can help buoy that up. But in what Christ comes to both those groups, the religious and the irreligious, and sa- he comes and says, neither of those ways are lasting ways. Everyone is in need of a savior. We are all broken and sinful apart from Christ. The good person can never be good enough and the person who's trying to make their own way, you can never be God. But God has come in Christ and has reconciled us to God. He has paid the penalty that you and I owed to God and has offered to us by grace through faith alone access to the Father. And when that, that brings a peace in our heart because it's no longer religious striving to check all the marks, all the boxes off, neither is it... Uh, the striving that comes with trying to prove my worth or value through my career or my academics or my good looks or the number of people who like me or like my posts on Facebook. We'll find anything that will give us value. How hard I'm able to hit a ball in baseball or how fast I'm able to run. Now our value and identity can, bring, can come from a peace that now exists between God and me. I am 100% accepted before the Father, no matter what I've done, no matter where I've gone, based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. And because there's a peace now between God, now I can be free 
not to be pushing down the people who are around me who aren't like me. I don't have to push down the stranger because to make myself feel better because I understand we're all in the same boat together. We were once alienated. We were once strangers. But now, Paul says in verse 19, we are fellow citizens. That means that God is creating a new society a whole new society that's not based upon your intrinsic ability to have your stuff together, whether to be good or to perform in any, in any way. You are now members of a new society that he is forming. And he also says we are members of the household of God. That means we are part of a new family or a new bloodline. The answer to our horizontal barriers is abolishing the vertical barrier. And what that means is that we are no longer strangers to each other. What once caused strangeness between each other is no longer there. We now approach each other no longer as strangers who are separated. Think, think about this. And when I'm, just, when I'm using the word stranger, if you're riding down the road and you see somebody who's broken down and you're heading to work or whatever, it, if you're, some, you're gonna say, all right, uh, you're gonna have like a couple excuses why you're not gonna stop and help this person. Uh, I don't know much about cars. Uh, I'm sure somebody is coming to help them. Uh, I'm in a rush or they could be a serial killer and they're gonna kill me. And I'm, they're gonna find me in the back, the back uh, of the trunk of my car after I pick this person up. But if you're driving down the road and you see somebody that you know who's broken down, you're gonna pull over and you're gonna see if you can help them because that strangeness between you is no longer there. It's been broken down. There's a peace between you. And now we who are what, who were once strangers to God and to each other are no longer, that strangeness no longer exists between us. We're no longer separated. So when Christians meet each other, it's like, uh, it's not like meeting a stranger, it's like meeting a brother or a sister in Christ. I lived for 10 days in an um, apartment of a family in India. Uh, two daughters, a mom and a dad, and only one of them spoke fluent English. And it was hard. But there was such a camaraderie there between us. Even though we didn't understand each other's culture at all, he had no idea what my life was like here, and I really have no idea what his daily life is like there, the challenges that he faces and what his background was like, how he grew up. I couldn't even speak the same language as his wife and daughters, and yet there was a love and a camaraderie between each other, even though we didn't understand each other's background. That's what it's like to be a part of the family of God. God has and is creating one new man. He says here out of the two, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles who are hopelessly separated. The Jews looked down on Gentiles because they were pagans. They didn't live according to the law of God. And the pagans looked down at the Jews because they were foolish. The, the, Gentile, the Gentiles or the Greeks viewed the Jews as barbarians. 
but says God has taken us out of every background that we have come from and is creating one new man. What he means is he's creating a totally different humanity, a totally different ethnicity. Here, Galatians 3, 26 through 28, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is, listen to this, there's neither Jew nor Greek, There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we are no longer separated and sorted by ethnicity. We're gonna talk a little bit more about it next week, but you know how God views ethnicity? He views it as a beautiful Uh, mosaic together that shows his glory and his beauty. Do you know why we need brothers and sisters who are from different backgrounds and different socioeconomic uh, status and people who are of different colors and cultures? Because together we get a clearer picture of who God is. He is not white Southern Republican, neither is he a a black African now in South Africa, or, a, uh, or is he a Chinese woman worshiping in secret in the middle of mainland China right now? We get a clearer picture of who he is when we put us all together and we hear every tribe and every nation and every tongue worshiping God in the way that is natural to them. We get a beautiful picture of who he is. He's creating a totally different ethnicity. We're no longer separated and sorted by ethnicity. We're no longer separated and sorted. Look at that. But neither, uh, neither Jew nor Greek, we're no longer separated by religious backgrounds. Whatever background you come from, whenever you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're not a second-class Christian if you were once Hindu or Muslim or of no religion at all. He, brought us all, he brings us all together in Christ and we are united in him. We're no longer separated and sorted by social standing. How the world looks at you and your standing, how much you make or where you live or what kind of job you have, the world sorts us according to that. That's the American culture. But that is not the way it is sorted inside the church in Christ. We all have equal standing and value before God. We're no longer sorted by economic standing. We're no longer sorted by societally based gender identity. Society has lots of different messages about gender to us. We could spend the whole series on that. But women in American society are objectified according to their looks, their face, and their body. And we are not sorted in Christ by that measure. Your value, women, is not based upon the number of wrinkles that you do or not have, do or do not have when you look in the mirror. It is not based upon your waist size or the number of guys who turn their head at you. Your value is intrinsically based upon the value of the blood of Christ that he paid for you, daughter of Christ. 
We are no longer sorted and separated by those things and we are united, all of us in our standing before God. That creates a humility in us because nobody had a higher standing before Christ came. You weren't almost saved because you were a good person. You were far away from Christ based upon yourself. And neither were you, if you've lived a, a hard life, if you've run hard away from him and you have a, a th- you think is an embarrassing, terrible story about what you have done before Christ, you, are, you weren't any further down. We were all had the same standing, all in equal need of a savior before Christ came. We're united in our standing before God that creates in us a humility because we don't look down on anybody else if we understand who we were before Christ came along. But also we're united in our union to God and our common father and our older brother. The double side of the gospel says before uh, you are far worse off than you ever thought you were before Christ, but in Christ you are far more loved than you ever dared to dream. We're united in our standing before him, before Christ, and we're united in our common union to God. We all came the same way through faith and trust in the risen Savior who died for our sins. If you are in here and you're a believer in Christ, you have a common father as me, and we share an older brother. And you know what that makes us? brothers and sisters. And that union goes deeper than wherever you've come from and wherever you think you're going. That's how Jesus is creating a new humanity. Why is Jesus creating a new humanity? Well, first of all, he says in verse 16, he's creating a new humanity because we had to be reconciled to God. We were all apart from God. We were separated from him. He's creating a new humanity to reconcile us to each other. He says in verse 16, he, I think it's 16, if I remember correctly. Yes, verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The answer to the ending of strife between natural strangers is God reconciling us to himself and creating, excuse me, creating a new humanity. You know what that means? That means the church is the one place in the world where well, there can be a true lack of hostility between people. Doesn't mean we won't, won't disagree. It doesn't mean we always understand each other, but it means there's a lack, there can be a lack of hostility between us and peace because of the blood of Christ. He didn't just kill the hostility, but he came, he's creating a new humanity to, a new humanity to make peace. It's not enough to have a lack of hostility. I think the generation that I'm a part of and that most of you guys are or younger, uh, most of us, there certainly are exceptions. Most of us, it's not an active racism or prejudice that we encounter when it comes to people who don't look like us or are a different color. But you know what it's been replaced by? Indifference and apathy. And it's been said that the only thing worse than hatred is apathy and indifference. Because they say, like, hatred isn't far from love. At least you have a strong feeling about me. But if you're indifferent to me, that's even worse. 
And I think most of us are just kind of indifferent. We're, we're content to live in our own little circle of people who are look like us, act like us, talk like us, sound like us, have the same amount of money in their bank account, live in the similar sort of house that I live in because that's comfortable and I understand it. And I don't actively have a problem with anybody else. But that's not enough in the church. There's to be an active peace. Jesus came to bring a peace, and his picture there is wholeness. It means uh, the way things ought to be. It's a, it's a fullness of life. It's not just a lack of hostility. It's a fullness of life. It's an overflow of the peace that God has poured out in my heart that then gets poured out to other people around me. But then why is Jesus creating a new, new humanity? That he might receive his reward. Revelation 5, 9, I'm gonna have two quotes from Revelation here. I think this is so important when we see a picture of heaven at the end of the days. This is what we see in heaven. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, they're singing to, to Jesus now, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, Why? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, you purchased, you bought people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Designed into salvation for us as believers was the point that God would save people from every tribe and language and tongue and nation as a reward it's Christ's reward before the Father. Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed. So before him is white Southern Republicans, and there's white Southern Democrats, and there's Northern people who put sauerkraut on their hot dogs, and there's people who are dark and darker than them. There are people who are uh, of different shades and languages and accents. There's people with a Southern accent. There's people with a New Jersey accent. There's people with Australian accents and different languages who don't even understand each other before the lamb. Clothed in white robes all together with palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Why is Jesus creating a new humanity from every tribe and nation and tongue, from every ethnicity, every generation, every background, every socioeconomic standing, because it's a reward to the Son. It's what he came for. So what does this mean for us? We're gonna spend the rest of this week and next week talking about that. It means that individually, you and I, that we must confront the barriers in our hearts and minds that make people strangers to us. Some of that is racial. My hope, and we're gonna talk about this more next week, but my hope, our hope, is that we would be a community of people going forward who don't just, aren't just open-armed to anybody who may come into our midst, 
but who actively pursue diversity across racial lines, across political lines, across economic lines, and across generational lines. Before we get there, each of us have to be honest with ourselves. And maybe it's even difficult for us to even be honest with ourselves because we lack perspective. I guess even before that, we have to start by asking God, by his Holy Spirit, would you begin to reveal to me areas of my heart, areas of my thinking, where I regard people who look different, who have a different skin tone, who think differently than me politically, who have a different economic standing with me. Look, that can cut both ways. There are economic snobs who have tons of money and there are economic snobs who are poor. And to think about how I think about people who are of a different generation than me. It means, secondly, that as a church, we must confront the barriers here and in our community. We desire to be a church who confronts the barriers that exist here in our midst and addresses the barriers in our community of race, politics, economics, and even generational divide. So how can we do that? Number one, we can make it a focus. We sat down a year ago and said, all right, this is our first conversation about ethnicity and race and multicultural, just having a, begin to have a conversation about it. Now we want to make it a focus going forward to say, what can we do? What can I do personally? And what can we do together as a body to engage it in our church and in our community? Secondly, we can ask God to change our hearts. And I think we need to have our heart changed. Third, we can make intentional moves to those who are naturally strangers to us. That requires intentionality and requires uncomfortability. But it's a step. And you know what? In doing so, we're following the pattern of our older brother Jesus who left the comfort of heaven, who left the adoration of the angels and came to earth as a peasant and engaged us right where we were. It had to be incredibly uncomfortable for Jesus to become a human being, much less to then suffer and die for us. But we get to follow in his pattern to engage places when the people that aren't naturally comfortable to us. And the fourth thing we can do is we can pray. We can pray that God would move in our midst, in our heart, in our community to bring racial, political, economic, and generational uh, unity among the believers. We'll end with this. What's at stake in this conversation? Why is it a big deal? And I think it's a big deal because I think the veracity of the gospel depends on this. 
I can stand up here every week that I preach and every week that somebody preaches here and we can proclaim and preach the gospel. But this is a way that the gospel gets lived and demonstrated so the people around us see a taste of what God is like and what heaven is like in our midst. We're gonna do this because it's right. We're gonna do it because the gospel is at stake. Mostly we're gonna do this out of a love for God. And when that love overflows in our hearts, a love for those people around us who were once strangers to us, but are no longer strangers. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.